millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. there uh welcome to another jam-packed episode of the dangerous dinners podcast i am your host as always tom green how are you uh welcome to another episode episode 12 and uh listen we are not we're not any old podcast now oh no we're not any sort of little startup podcast we're a top 30 on apple podcasts podcasts what a moment um hey i really appreciate everyone that downloaded listened shared gave love to last week's billy billingham episode um a lot of people saying it was their favorite of the series so far it was good wasn't it interesting bloke proper sas hero this guy had saved people's lives he was an honor having billy billingham uh, on the uh, podcast last week so thank you for all the love we made a load of charts with that show so thanks for that if you've not listened, scroll back. Just scroll down our page a little bit. The episode will be there for you. All the best bits are on our YouTube page, The Dangerous Dinners Podcast. Uh, we've got Twitter. It's the DD Podcast. It's all on there for you. And uh, how's your week been? How's everything been going? Uh, you find me back in our home in London this week. I'm sat at my normal desk. This is where we normally do the podcast from. It's been a weird old few weeks being in the Lake District and then being at my dad's. It was all kind of all over the place. But hey-ho. This week is a very special week because this is the first week we have filmed the whole podcast. Have you always wondered? Hey, I wonder what this Dangerous Dinner's Tom Green bloke looks like. Well, you can now see my lovely fat beardy face. Um, It's on Twitter and YouTube and stuff. You can see it all there. Or on my Instagram. This is Tom Green, I suppose. Anyway, this week we've got something a little bit different for you. We are serving up, pardon the pun, a chef. Not any chef. A Michelin-starred chef. This man is part of the Simon Rogan empire. I feel like I should explain who Simon Rogan is. He is probably one of uh, Britain's premier chefs right now. He has two-starred Michelin restaurant Long Clume. He's very fair. He's basically like Gordon Ramsay, but without the swearing and the massive fame and stuff. So that's Simon Rogan. And Tom Barnes, who is our guest today, is like one of his head chefs. He's worked for him for years. Um, What do we know about Tom Barnes? He was on The Great British Menu. He won that. He won the LaRue. Is it LaRue or Rue? I think it's just Rue Scholarship. (laughs) He won the LaRue Scholarship. I'm going in for the kill. Different thing. Rue Scholarship. That's the one. He's basically a very, very amazing, world-renowned chef that works for Simon Rogan. Uh, We talk about Simon a lot in the podcast. We talk about food boxes, those delivery things that come to your house and you make your own dinner, but it's like a restaurant dinner, all that sort of thing. So yeah, sit yourself down and tonight's dinner comes from a Michelin-starred chef. It's Tom Bonds. The Dangerous Dinners Podcast with your host, Tom Green. 
One celebrity guest, one spin of the roulette wheel, and a tour of the best and worst takeaways, which are delivering to us tonight. What will it land on? We let fate decide. Up for grabs today, we have the poorly reviewed Kansas Fried Chicken. Everybody's favorite, Lahore Karahi. And if it all goes wrong, Pizza Palace. But before we do that, it's time to meet our celebrity guest. They're famous, they're funny, and they just arrived downstairs. It's time to bring them up. Please welcome. It's Tom Bods, everybody. Oh, what a joy this is. Hi, Tom. Hello. <laughs> now, normally we do this down a internet line, yep. so you wouldn't have to see me in real life or have a camera crew here or feel quite a lot of pressure so I'm sorry about that <laughs> no, that's fine I've obviously uh, got lucky you did get very lucky yeah <laughs> how are you yeah, I'm very good thank you yeah I'm glad you've chosen to drink as well yeah I'm quite nervous so yeah. I was gonna say this you, you strike me as someone that got into this to cook and maybe not to have cameras pointed at his face and be spoken to yeah definitely <laughs> yeah it's uh I'm getting a bit more used to it but yeah it's still something that's it's not natural to me. Um, so we're doing this in person in Cartmel at my girlfriend's family home. Very and nice. Thanks, man. It is lovely, isn't it? It is. I'd love to say this is ours, but it's not. It's Emma's parents. <laughs> so, yeah, we got It's not ours. And you live... I live just down the hill, yeah. Down the hill in Cartmel. Wow. Uh, yeah. I think you're very lucky to live somewhere as amazing as this. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of them... I've been here for 10 years now, so... With a year in Copenhagen, but I do think... You, I don't know, maybe you take it for granted a little bit at times, but everyone says that who comes up here, oh, you're so lucky, and, and, it, and it is really nice, yeah, it's lovely. So you live in the village, the village is tiny, yeah, and that's also where all the restaurants are. Yeah, yeah, so we have uh, Long Clume and Rogan and Company in Cartmel, yeah. and then we have a little shop there as well, so yeah, it's handy. I, I, I initially lived there because I didn't learn to drive until... Uh, a year and a half ago did you not no i uh <laughs> i'm pretty useless on the roads i'm getting a bit better but it was only when we opened up henrock and i had to start commuting to bonus that i had to learn to drive so. and i mean even that's not far is it bonus no, no. is 10 minutes no it's about 25 oh, is it? yeah yeah um well welcome to the dangerous dinners podcast thank you for having me tonight i think will be a maybe a little bit of a different dining experience than what you're used to for me oh, i think you'd be surprised well this is what i wanted to <laughs> this is what i wanted to know is infamously chefs eat quite badly yeah. they cook amazingly but outside of work they they eat, take away an awful food is that right i definitely fit into that category <laughs> yeah i do it, it, it's bad i don't drink a lot i don't do any drugs or anything like that but my diet is not good <laughs> really yeah it's i think it's just you know you get in at the end of the night you've been cooking all day and i think a lot of a lot of the guys in the team they do cook healthily and they take it very serious but I just don't have the willpower when the Chinese takeaway is off and it's, that's, that's where I'm going. I love that. So you get home and order a takeaway most nights? Yeah, yeah, I do. Can you not eat while you're working? Because I think that'd be my problem if I was a chef. I'd be constantly wanting to eat what I was cooking and trying it. Yeah, well, I, I find that over the years I've, I've developed a habit. I, I graze a lot, so I get full quite quickly, but then I also get hungry again very quickly. So yeah. I might be satisfied for, you know, 45 minutes. And then I'm thinking, even when I go to the Chinese, I'll normally eat it in uh, like three or four sittings over the, throughout the night. Mm. But yeah. Well, for all my guests, I write an introduction for them. Yep. Um, do you want to hear yours? Oh, I'd love to. Because you've listened to this podcast, right? I have, yeah. Right then. This is what I wrote. Okay. 
He's Simon Rogan's right-hand man, holding down his Cumbrian food empire and looking after the jewel in the crown that is Longclume, alongside the fantastic Rogan and Co. and Henrock. He was the man that delivered the main course for Britain in the Great British Menu. He won the Rue Scholarship and currently mans the kitchen of restaurants, racking up three Michelin stars. It's Tom Barnes. Wow, thank you very much. That was a lovely introduction. Is that about fair? That is very fair, yes. I don't understand how the Michelin star thing works. Because you work at Longclume, which has two, Mm -hmm. and Rogan & Co., which has one. Yes. So do you say you're a Michelin star chef? Um... I never until we won one at Rogan and Company. I I was the head chef at Longclume for a long time uh, under Simon. I then moved to Copenhagen for a year just for a, a bit of a break. It's something I'd spoke about with Simon. I'd, I'd never worked abroad and I'd always wanted to do that. Um, after a year, Simon rung me up and asked me to come back to Rogan and Company because he'd... Uh, his head chef was leaving. He didn't have anyone to replace him. So initially it was a, a temporary move. Um, five months after that, we won the Michelin star. And that was when I kind of felt, because, you know, Simon spent most of his time in Long Clume and, and yeah, that, so it was after we won it at Rogan and Company, that was when I really sort of felt the, the Michelin star title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So even if you work in a kitchen that has a Michelin star, you don't think it's yours until you've designed the menu? and Yeah, I think so, yeah. But obviously, it's a massive team effort, but I, obviously, yeah, I think the award would go to the chef. If, if the chef was to leave, then the, the accolade would go with him. Um, welcome to the Dangerous Dinners podcast, by the way. We're going to find out what you're having for dinner tonight via the giant roulette wheel behind you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The way it works is we spin it. Whatever it lands on is your dinner. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, because we're in Cartmel, the options aren't massive no the, it's only got one selection on <laughs> so it's quite biased as to what you're gonna get um well do you want to go and spin it and find out i guess absolutely feel free to to sort of make your way over there it's kebabs <laughs> <laughs> there's only um there's only one takeaway i could find I was wondering on the way up here what uh, how many options you could find to deliver. There's, there was only one, and it was uh, it was it was kebabs. And also, unlike London, where they'll come to you, my girlfriend's going to have to go and get this. Oh, really? <laughs> so we're going to send we're going to send M. <laughs> I'm going to go for. In fact, before I do this, what is your takeaway heaven and your takeaway hell? Uh, heaven. I love I love a Chinese takeaway. That's that's my go-to. It's a really good one by my parents that I uh, go to a couple of times a week. Um, a couple of times a week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you Hell. the sort of guy that walks in and you're like, I, "Can I get my usual?" Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not quite uh, that. Well, I, I fluctuate between a few different, a uh, few different orders, but they always know when it's me. I'm coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't really have a takeaway. Hell, if I'm being honest, is I'll eat pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they when when you order Chinese? Are they like, hey, it's, it's Tom, it's Tom Barnes. We've got to make it good tonight. Um, no, I don't think they did. They did see me in the street one time after Great British Menu had aired and said, "Well done." So they, uh, <laughs> yeah, they they, they, they realise I'm a chef now. Uh, I don't think they did for for a long time. But, They're aware uh, of your work. Yeah, yeah. So it has chosen kebabs for us tonight. Lovely. I'm going to go for a large Donna kebab. Yeah. Have you had kebabs? I mean, it sounds like you're a man that knows a takeaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had kebabs before. Yeah, I'll have a Donna kebab as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there you go. Kebabs are. 
normally it's ordered via an app, but M M's going to go for us. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I've listened, like I said, I've listened to episodes and I was wondering what, what would be the situation in Cartmel because uh, we, we don't have any deliveries around here. Tom, I have got until the food turns up to really get to know you. Okay. And I've been very, very excited about this personally because we've had some really good pop stars on the show and some really good comedians, but I'm a fan of what you do and I'm a big fan of the restaurants that you work in. So this is uh, this isn't really a question. I'm just saying. This oh, is, I appreciate that very much. Really exciting. So, Tom, it feels weird to describe your role as a chef. Would you still call yourself a chef? Are you actually in the kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, so my role now is I oversee the free kitchens. Obviously, as the group grows, Simon's got restaurants all over the world, and he can't be here all the time. So it's it's my job. So I'll, I'll when I'm in work, I'll be in one of the kitchens. I'll have a bit long, including Rogan's or up at Henrock. And wow. Which is, which is cool. You know, that's that's where I'm at my happiest, really, in the kitchen. I don't, uh, I'm not a chef. I hate meetings. I hate paperwork. I hate all that sort of stuff. I'm at my happiest when I'm cooking something. That's interesting. It's not like an admin role now, because I thought you'd been promoted to a point where it's almost like a management thing. Of the- yeah, well, it is, and there is more of that, but I think the guys they realize how much i hate it and they're, they're, they're quite they're quite lenient with me so uh, when it comes to meetings and stuff like that they keep it to a minimum for okay. me i don't have a very good attention span so i i soon switch off when i'm uh sort of in that situation it's it's tough for me so right what's your title in the bottom of your email yeah what does it say it says uh executive chef of the northwest wow yeah that's a cool title yeah because and this might be wrong but i feel like there's there's you who looks after the cumbria thing yep and then there's someone who looks after london and hong kong yeah exactly so we've got ollie who basically does my job down south right yeah and then it's simon yeah exactly simon's the owner wow the big boss the big boy yeah so what does a normal day look like for you let's think it's not locked down yep what would a normal a normal thursday night look like uh, so as I work, as I live in Cartmel, I always start. I walk past Rogan and Co. So I normally go in there first and just check the guys are okay, and then I'll head down to Long Clume and speak with Paul, the head chef there, and just check everything's all right. And then it just depends really on which restaurant I'm working in that day. If it's Henrock, I'll I'll, I'll drive up probably around eleven o'clock, and yeah, we'll just work, just chat with all the chefs about what dishes we're working on, where we're at with the team, how staffing looking, stuff yeah. like that. Was there any issues the night before? And uh, yeah, and then I'll whatever restaurant I'm in, I'll I'll get my apron on. I'll be doing service. And you just get cracking. Yeah. So potentially, if someone came into the kitchen on a night you were working, you'd make their dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Does Simon? I guess maybe doesn't do that so much anymore. But Simon works at Long Clue mainly, but he he's still very involved. He wow. he, he loves it. He's uh yeah, he's great. He's very hands on, and it's it's great to work with him. Really. That's cool. I think that's really nice. I know. I'm quite a big fan of Apple, the company, right? Yeah. And I know they the way they promote people up through Apple is that if you're really good at what you do as a designer, they won't go, okay, it's time for you to look after the designers. They're just like, you should just still design because that's what you're good at. And it sounds like similar with you, like you love cooking. So why would you want to manage chefs? Yeah, exactly. In the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's something, like I said, they've been very lenient with me and you know, I have a great relationship with all the chefs and the company's sort of expanding all the time. It's, it's very exciting, but not nothing makes me happier than doing a service really and i feel like we should describe the difference between the restaurants because they are very different yeah absolutely. Um, do you i guess you do a better job than this than i will <laughs> yeah i'll try my rest. so long clumes obviously the flagship restaurant simon's first restaurant it's got uh, two michelin stars it's a tasting menu restaurant we use just entirely british produce most of it's from the farm just a couple of miles away so everything's super fresh um, so that's Long Clume. Rogan and Company follows a very similar sort of ethos to Long Clume, but it's uh, it's an a la carte restaurant, so there's no tasting menu. It's really casual, you know, with 
just want people to come in, be relaxed, eat great food. Yeah. And then uh, Henrock, which is up at Linfoit Hotel. It's different in the fact that we'll use foreign ingredients and sort of influences from around the world, Simon's travels or anything we've seen on our travels, and which we don't do at Rogan's or Long Clune. But again, it's an a la carte uh, menu. But then we have the bar as well and afternoon tea and yeah. stuff like that. So it's quite a big operation up at Henrock, but... I, I, I told you you turned up tonight. I'm quite a big fan of Long Clume yeah. because it's it's really posh without feeling really posh. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Th- obviously, this is expensive for a dinner. It's how much is it for like six courses? Sixty nine quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which is obviously a lot of money, it but is. in that world, is you could go and have a Michelin star dining experience for sixty nine pounds. Unbelievable. No, definitely, and you know. Like, like you said, I'm, I'm really glad you said that, that it's not sort of fussy or and like we want people to come in and feel relaxed. And, you know, obviously when you're dealing with the ingredients and the price of all those sort of things and the staffing that it takes to run a restaurant like that, then there's always going to be a price with that. But yeah, I think, you know, I think Long Clume is, well, it's, I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet, no, but it's, it's, I <laughs> said I love it. it's, it's, you know, most of the people that come really love it. And it's, it's great that we can give people a, a, a fantastic time whether they're coming for a special occasion or you know if they're celebrating something you said to me before that you were you were celebrating a job and yeah and that's what that's what i love really the, the fact that people will come to us and like trust us to make their evening special really yeah we did when i um i got a big breakfast show a few years ago and i took my mum and dad because my mum and dad were very they used to drive me to all these radio stations so i, I owe them a lot and i took them to long Clune and I, I paid for it as a thank you and it was such an amazing experience but it wasn't like it was fancy without feeling like white tablecloths and you had to wear a shirt and yeah it, it wasn't that it was an amazing food but f- delivered to you by your friend and also i love how knowledgeable everyone is that comes and serves you it really and i've worked in i've worked in kitchens i used to be a waiter right. i had no idea what i was serving you i just <laughs> pick it on the menu i gave it you right whereas there they know people are really sort of switched onto it yeah absolutely i mean we have an amazing team and everyone's you know super passionate about what they do and and everyone's like you know we're all following the same goal really and like i say we we want it to be friendly we don't want people to feel uncomfortable or we want you to relax and have a great time have great food great service and and that's what it's about for us so in terms of hands-on with stuff so you look after all the three restaurants yep so the menu in rogan and co yeah, as of Monday when it reopens, is mm-hmm. it opening on Monday? Uh, Rogan and Co's another month. Henrock is opening for outdoors, but we Fine. we haven't got any outdoor space for Rogan and Co. Unfortunately, so when when Rogan and Co does reopen, yeah. the menu that you've got mm-hmm. for it, how involved are you in that process? Yeah, massively. So the way it works is, I'll sit down with Simon and the head chef of the restaurant. We'll come up with something together. Then they'll go off, start preparing what we've spoke about. Usually I'll come in for the first tasting and uh, I'll say whatever tweaks I think might be made and then Simon will come in and taste as well and then we'll we'll work it all out together really. So it is a very much, uh, over the years it's become more and more so a collaborative effort for all the restaurants and I, and I think that works brilliantly really because the more minds you have on it, the better, you know. Yeah. It's uh, So that's that's how it works in all the restaurants. The, the head chef, probably the sous chefs as well, myself and Simon, will sit down for a meeting. We'll discuss, you know, what's coming in from the farm, what what dishes are going out of season, what do we need to change, and then we'll go from there. And how often does that rotate? It's it's an ever sort of evolving process, really. Certainly at Long Clume, with 
Simon doesn't like to repeat a di- uh, an ingredient on the menu at Long Clume as well. So if you're changing one dish, that usually has a knock-on effect to three or four dishes. So, right, so hold on. Let me. So, let, so if you were introducing uh, an ingredient into Long Clume yep. that was in another, it was in another dish somewhere on the menu that would have to change as well. So wow. So the, the menu's constantly evolving because it's like 15, 16 courses. It's it's we would never do the whole thing in a wanna really, which has been quite nice for this lockdown that we are completely starting afresh and we've had the time to actually develop it and try and sort of move things on to the next level. Yeah. I imagine it's been a weird eighteen months yeah. for you guys. <laughs> Obviously with lockdown happening. How scary was it twelve months ago when I mean it's almost exactly a year ago when yeah. the country went to lockdown and there was no plan and it was just like, okay, restaurants close. Yeah, no, it was terrifying. It was, we didn't know what was going on. Um, obviously, the team were worried, like, what's going to happen? There was a lot of restaurants, a lot of, a lot of companies that were making people redundant, and obviously, everyone starts to worry, um, you know, what, what does the future hold? Uh, really happily, 12 months on, we didn't lose one member of staff. It's amazing. Um, you know, initially, all the management, we all went down, took a massive pay cut, and everybody sort of got on board with that so the more senior they were the more money you drop but at the end of it we came out with a full team and and you know and i think everyone's just raring to go now ready ready to get back to it because the company seemed to adapt quite naturally i don't know if this is true and i don't know if my wording's gonna be right here because obviously you'd have had a lot of food in the actual restaurants and you have the farm as well which is in the town yeah yeah it's in the village yeah did you give the food away or do you give it away for like cost price i heard this yeah so initially it got shut down on like a day's notice um firstly the government had advised people not to go so the booking started dropping but and then we got shut down like i think it was on the thursday they said tomorrow you close so we had a lot of food left in because we still had bookings uh yeah initially we just turned it all into stews and things like that that people could heat up and we gave it to the locals we worked with the the vicarage about uh people who had to isolate uh couldn't get out of the house and we gave them food amazing and it sort of just grew from that really we we had a lot of produce coming through from the farm that we couldn't use, so we, we did veg boxes. And then, yeah, we started selling them further out. So we basically charged £5 for a meal, which would cover the cost of two meals, which meant we could then give 50% of them away. Okay. So we were giving meals to the NHS, to the hospitals. We were also giving them, again, working with the vicarage to people around the area who had to isolate, couldn't get out. And, and that, that was how it all begun, really. And these were just like all your ingredients thrown into a pot, stew vibes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're making stews, curries, <laughs> stuff like that. And it was just stuff that people could put, it was all sealed in a pouch, but then it started growing. So the pastry chef came in and started making bread and and it all grew from there really wow. to, to what it is now where we're doing free course meals at home. Rogan at home. Exactly. Which I've done. Oh, really? I love it. Uh, me and my girlfriend did the Valentine's Day box. Right, okay, cool. And it was it was amazing. It was basically the closest experience I've had in lockdown to going to a restaurant without being there. And I didn't, I was like, what's this going to be like? And M did the cooking and it was all so easy and it was all so easy to do. But when you eat the food, it's like, my God, this is real restaurant quality stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, that's sort of what we're aiming for really. And yeah, like I say, it was, uh, it took a bit of time to find that balance of like, how much work would you like the the guests to do at home because mm. some some people get it who are like real foodies and they want to get involved but then other people are getting it because they want it to for the simplicity so to try, sort of try and find that balance was a bit of a challenge but i think i think we did all right with that and most of the preps done you know we, we would make all the sauces the purees we cook the meat 
everything exactly as we would in the restaurant using all the equipment we would in the restaurant which is something which is very difficult to sort of replicate at home if you haven't got the equipment that we use really sure. you now offer rogan at home nationwide yep boring question right but i'm yeah. gonna ask it technically how does that work um, so basically we set up with uh, a courier so they will we it took a bit of time again sort of working out the packaging to make sure everything stays chilled and yeah. stuff like that but so now we, we pack the boxes with ice packs and cool wool and stuff like that and and then it, the delivery will come get picked up and then dropped off the next day so it's from the so it's from yeah we, we, so yeah we do everything from long clue wow yeah and at the moment we're having a unit built so we can carry this on um which will be in Flukeborough. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to keep going with it when uh, when the restaurants reopen. You'll know about this, but I only found out this about this recently about dark kitchens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in London, there's loads of these things called dark kitchens where, say, you want like a Nando's, right? As you well know, but listeners, say you want a Nando's, there'll be a place, and it's normally on like a commercial estate, where there'll just be some guy dishing out Nando's chicken all night. You can't go to the restaurant, but it works as a way of delivering the food to yeah. people around that local area, right? Yeah. It's so clever. And I thought you might have gone down that route. There may, there may have been like a dark kitchen Rogan in Scotland. No, 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 so no. It's, it's all, all made in Longclume and yep. then it's just flown out to people as quick as you can. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And nice that you're going to carry that on. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's going to be good and hopefully will be uh, it'll be an option for some of the holiday cottages around here and stuff like that. Would you like one of the boxes waiting for you when you arrive and stuff? And ah. we're hoping to expand it in that way, uh, yeah. And you don't have to give figures on this because it's a rude question, I suppose. But I imagine that's been quite a good way of bringing money into the company to keep things sort of going. It's kept us, it's kept us going, yeah. And obviously during this lockdown because we took on more staff, there was a lot of people who weren't eligible for furlough. So it's given them work and... Right, okay. we've got to keep uh, keep people in with an income, basically. So yeah. It's, yeah, so nice that as a company, you've well, probably one of the few companies that are going to leave lockdown almost more competitive. There's no way you guys would have done this without no, everything no. happening. No, absolutely, and I think in this lockdown, especially like a lot of credit goes to like Sam, the managing director and stuff, who organised a lot of. Um, so every week we've had master classes with the team. So one night it'll be the chefs come in and everything's sent to our uh, employee's house. And then everyone will get on a Zoom call and follow along with a chef. And every Friday we've had the bar manager from Henrock doing cocktails and stuff like that. And, Amazing. you know, Simon gave a talk about his career. And there's been like two or three master classes each week to sort of just keep the team entertained as well during the lockdown, which yeah. has been really nice. So like I say, now that we're coming back out of it, everyone's absolutely raring to go and We've got an amazing team with us. To, uh... And there's talk of chefs coming to your house. Yeah, it's something we were exploring before COVID. Um, right. Which is something we will have to sort of relook at later down the line, I think, when when we find out a bit more what's going on with COVID regulations and stuff like that. But yeah, but yeah it was something we were, we were thinking about doing, yeah. So you'd have a Simon Rogan chef come over to your house. Yeah, exactly. Use your kitchen and make your dinner for you. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it should be good fun. How cool is that? They're normally quite, uh, quite a good laugh if we do these sort of things. It'll be good, be good fun. Would you do that? Would you be the person that goes around? Yeah, I'd do a few of them, yeah. Depends. I would be well up for that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a good laugh. It'd be, uh, I think in them sort of situations, you start to, everyone starts to loosen up a bit and you get, to, you get to have a, a bit of fun with the, whoever it is you're cooking for. And, yeah. Yeah. Do you, I imagine probably the answer to this is no. Do you have a drink while you're working? Can you have a little pint? No, oh, no, I don't. On, I don't. Why can't Simon let you have some fun? For God's sake! No, to be fair, I don't think Simon will be that bothered. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, 
no, no. It's, it's like I say, I'm not a big drinker, really. I, Are you not? I've never been. I think when my hangovers started to kick in, and I get very bad hangovers, it, it just sort of fizzled out for me. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'll have you know I'll have the occasional beer here and there, but I'm not. I'm not a big drinker. I've got to say. Without getting too deep too quickly, there is a in the chef world there is a big problem of booze and drugs mm. right to yeah keep you going and keep you awake i mean yeah for, for me it, it does get exaggerated a oh, really? lot i i think so i mean i've never really obviously i've met occasional people i'm sure everyone in every professional will meet that yeah, friend who, who, who yeah for me i've never really experienced anything like you know you see these films and stuff like that and People are snorting cocaine through penne pasta out the back or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've just never seen it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I've read Vice articles about this. Stuff yeah, and I'm yeah. Like, it I think, wild. I think, I think maybe Anthony Bourdain had a lot to do about that. He was a, an amazing chef writer who Anthony spoke Bourdain. a lot about. He wrote a, a book called Kitchen Confidential, which kind of started it all off. And okay. some of the stories in that book are what. Uh, I mean, he had a he had a wild life, but he he did live that life. And it, <laughs> but I think now off the back of that. Maybe that was sort of what stemmed that, really. Anthony Bourdain. But like I said, that's only from my my personal experience. I've never really experienced it, but yeah, you know, I'm sure it's out there. Like, yeah, I'm sure it is. Anthony Bourdain. So was he a, was he a chef? Anthony Bourdain was a chef who, uh, I say, he wrote that book, and then he went on to have an amazing sort of. Uh, he, he just made the most amazing food uh, programs and stuff like that, traveling right. around the world and. We'll go to all sorts of places. But yeah, I loved his shows. He unfortunately died. He, he committed suicide, I think. But, uh, oh, God. Yeah, but I mean, the, the shows he made were just, just incredible. I, I loved watching his show. I feel like I should know about him. Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Um, another question for you that feels quite serious, but maybe not. Um, do you think the government has done enough to help the catering industry and keep you guys afloat? Uh, no, not really. I don't think. Um I think the way it was handled was was not great, you know. At the start, at the very beginning, advising people not to go to restaurants, but not technically shutting us down. So we had no real, we couldn't do anything. So yeah. like, all the bookings were falling off, but nobody had any sort of security. So people stopped going, but there was no, there was you couldn't get insurance on that. No, I exactly. Guess, they, they were told they had to stop going. Yeah, exactly. Right, okay, fine. So, I mean... Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think uh, I don't want to be. I don't want to come in and start talking, you know, no, being horrible, but because I could never do that job, and it, it's it's an unprecedented time. But I, I do feel there was things that could have been done a lot better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I feel like certain industries have fallen through the cracks a little bit, whereas other industries have been a lot more. Yeah, I, I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, even you know, with regards to reopening and all the the shops can reopen, but before a month before the restaurants, and, yeah, and you know, and. and and just speaking for us personally, we went and we put a lot of effort into making the restaurants as safe as possible with taking people's temperatures when they come in, you know, hand sanitizer everywhere, everyone wearing masks. We really, and before it was all made compulsory, we were, we were doing it. And and like I said, I just don't see how it's more safe to go into a shop than it is a restaurant. No. And that's also, I feel, maybe unfairly difficult because a restaurant like you, you can't the food's not just there ready to go, right? You've got to get the ingredients in. And like we had a table booked at Long Clue for New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, exactly. So we were ready to go. And then all of a sudden that's gone. Yeah. But you guys are preparing two weeks in advance with all the food. And now you've got all this food with no one to come and eat it. Yeah, exactly. And we were we were in a position where we were in tier two at the time and at the start of the last lockdown. So we were, tent- we were still open and we had fully booked restaurants for New Year's Eve. And then yeah. they told us the night before, that's it, shut down and... And what do we do? Do you know we had we had we had fully booked restaurants. We had a lot of money in produce in the kitchen, ready to go, and and it unfortunately just 
couldn't couldn't yeah, do anything happened? about it. What did you do with the feed? That's same again. Just cooks it off and give it to the locals. Give it out to people. Yeah. Wild. Um, I wanted to talk about that at the start of our conversation because we it normally ends up feeling like an episode of This Is Your Life, this podcast, okay. which I actually quite like. But I wanted to talk about the restaurants in COVID to sort of get back to you and where you started. Okay. You cook because of your grandma. Yeah, that was where my sort of interest first uh, kicked in, yeah, with my grandma in the kitchen just baking cakes and that really. And yeah. it was something I just quite enjoyed. And and yeah, I, just, I think from an early age, just getting that people eating something that I'd cooked and even if it was just my grandma and granddad saying, oh, that's nice. That was like, that was where it all sort of kicked in for me really. And okay. I enjoyed people liking what I'd cooked and... And was it always, I'm off to go and be a chef? Did you think that? No, no, it was, I mean, at school I was pretty rubbish. Like, very rubbish. <laughs> and uh, How rubbish? Yeah, bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it just wasn't for me. I just didn't enjoy it. Like I say, I've got a very short attention span. I wasn't naughty, but I would just start messing around, just more to entertain myself more than anything. Yeah. Um, so when I left school, well, when I was leaving school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and it was actually my mum just saw an article for an apprenticeship in a kitchen uh, in the local paper and said, why don't, you, why don't you try this? So I did. I went in and it was just a Saturday job. I was still at school. Uh, it was working from two o'clock till 10 o'clock at a little restaurant close by. And uh, that that was really when I sort of fell in love with it. And and I knew, I thought like, I became a bit obsessed with it really. It was, it was the first time I'd ever gone in and was actually quite good at something. Yeah. I'd gone through school being a below average student. I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't I wasn't good at anything really. You know, I didn't have a hard time at school or out. I just wasn't very good. It wasn't your thing, no. Yeah, but then but then I started cooking and and I sort of started picking things up quite quickly and it was the first time I'd ever felt like, oh, I'm actually quite good at this. And yeah. I think that sort of fueled me even more and and that that was doing that apprenticeship was when I realised like, yeah, this is something I'd really love to do. There seems to be a common thing in chefs that maybe unfairly, that school wasn't their thing. I know Jamie Oliver falls into that camp. A friend of mine, Charlie, right. who is a really good chef, hated school. Yeah. And then he found the kitchen and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I say, I can only speak for myself, but I think, you know, yeah, so, yeah, a lot of the guys who I've worked with over the years, I think we've all been in the same boat and just, just wasn't really our thing. I thought you'd have started as a pot wash. That's how I think all chefs start. Yeah, well, I got... Washing things up and then they go, do you know what? This looks way more fun making this creme brulee. No, no. Well, with the apprenticeship, there was quite a bit of uh, pot washing involved (laughs) in that as well. But but, uh, I I did get extremely lucky with that apprenticeship. Like my first teacher was my first head chef. He was brilliant, and I owe him. I owe him so much. Like he'd worked at he'd worked in a free Michelin star restaurant. He'd worked at a really high level. But he was also very patient and he, he'd been a college lecturer as well for a bit and he had that sort of understanding about teaching and, you know, I started with him when I was 15. I was still working at school. I worked a breakfast shift at the restaurant and then went and did one of my GCSEs. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> How from, nice that you're now a massive success in this. Well, it yeah. It must be nice <laughs> to look back on that and go, bloody other graft was worth it. No, absolutely, yeah. It's brilliant and, you know, it's, it has been hard work. But I, like I said, I got so lucky finding that job with him because you know I, I didn't know how to fry an egg when I started I knew literally nothing and then two and a half years later I was moving down south to work in a two Michelin star restaurant so amazing yeah so was that the Lakeside Hotel that was Lakeside yeah so that's a hotel on Windermere yeah exactly so they actually had uh, a little hotel in Ulverston called Trinity House which was run by apprentices as well so I would work at by the time I left school I'd work 
in the week at Lakeside and then at the weekend I'd be at Trinity House. Wow. And what were those first years like? What was it what was it like being in the kitchen? Was it scary? I imagine it was a big learning. If you went in not knowing how to fry an egg, yeah. it must be quite a steep learning curve. Yeah, it was, but I was just like like I say, I became a little bit almost obsessed with it and like how much I was learning every because I knew absolutely nothing. But like I say, I was picking it up quite quickly. And uh it was brilliant. That that first couple of years doing my apprenticeship, I absolutely loved it and and yeah, that yeah, I'd love to do it again if I could. Oh, really? I mean, well, it was just that, like, you know, I think all chefs get to that point where, you know, like I say, the further up you get, you have to do more paperwork and stuff like that. And that that just coming in and just doing the jobs you're told and learning learning every day, and yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. Was it all work or was there any party? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, like I said, I was 15 when I started there, 16, okay. and I was very baby face so while a lot of the chefs were going out and getting smashed i couldn't get served so <laughs> it was only it was only really when i turned uh 18 that i could uh but i do remember a couple of nights where the occasions where i could get because a lot of the chefs were a lot older than me i was like 15 16 yeah uh a lot of the guys were in the late 20s early 30s so i remember i do remember one night sort of matching them drink for drink and it didn't end pretty at all it was <laughs> god it was yeah it was, it was a couple of those occasions where uh yeah that would make the shift the next day quite difficult uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like I said, i've never been particularly great with hangovers either so that's yeah. why i don't drink that much now and from there you took an instant step to like a michelin star restaurant yeah the vineyard yeah yeah so that must have been the food oh, <laughs> oh my god the food's here 
I learned the basics there of like how to make sauces and everything like that. And it, and it's something that, you know, you can't replace learning when you're young, but then that step up in level was, yeah, it was tough. The first six months were tough. The hours were longer. The standard was a lot higher. Yeah. The chefs were more brutal <laughs> and it was tough. The first six months, I were probably the hardest six months of my career, I think. Wow. It was it was difficult, yeah. What was so difficult about it? Because the techniques were completely new or you were just, you were thrown into responsibility that you hadn't had? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, everything really. Yeah, it was, it was food I hadn't seen. The, the chef there was very sort of scientific in his approach. Um, plus it was a hotel, so it wasn't just, we did like a 90 cover restaurant, which had two Michelin stars, but then on top of that, you had a spa menu, an afternoon tea menu, room service, terrace menu, and... And it was like for the for the amount of work that was to be done there, it wasn't a particularly big team, so you had to be like super organised. And if you weren't organised, they got you organised pretty quick. So, so it was it was tough, but you know it was something that really definitely did serve me for the rest of my career as well. So, what made that restaurant Michelin star? What was it that they'd done that made their food superior to? anywhere else i mean the honest answer is i don't know <laughs> okay. I, I don't really I know how I don't, I don't know how michelin really works um you know and obviously there's so many different styles of restaurants out there with you know one two three michelin stars so i, I really don't know <laughs> I, I i have no idea how it works there uh, really so you just do your best work absolutely yeah. and hope that it's good enough yeah definitely and i think that's i think that's the same for everyone really Not, nobody knows i don't think any chef could tell you what they what they want what they look for but in my mind just had some chili sauce <laughs> my god these are good donna kebabs um in my mind i know what a michelin star restaurant food looks like is that always the case because when you go to long Clue, it looks like michelin star food obviously the the, the thing is you, you know you're going to get good quality but the styles of food range so different you know across the world i mean now there's street food restaurants in you know asia that have got michelin stars or wow. yeah i think you know as long as you the quality is there they're going to give you it i think and then you started working for the big man. From the vineyard, I went to another restaurant, actually, in London first, uh, which had two Michelin stars. And then wow. from there, I went to Simon, yeah. Was that someone you always wanted to work with? Simon, yeah. So, I mean, initially, my dad got sick and I wanted to come home uh, just to be closer at home. And then the job at Long Clume sort of fell into that. And, you know, happily, my dad's still here with us, which we didn't think at the time would be the case. But Is he okay? And I mean, he's, he's still ill, but his deterioration was a lot slower than what they thought it was going to be. I so, you know, it's really nice. And I think, you know, maybe everything happens for a reason in that sort of sense that I'd came back and and then I ended up at Long Clume and that was where things really started to, to go well for me, really. Yeah. Yeah, fate, eh? Yeah. Simon's restaurants and Long Clume weren't fully formed at this point, right? Like, where they are right now, where there is a clear brand and it's the yeah. farm-to-food idea, mm-hmm. that wasn't quite as clean as it... No, no, now. absolutely not. So when I started at Long Clume, there was seven chefs in the kitchen. Now there's 22. It was one Michelin star as well, and we hadn't had all the sort of success in the good food guide and all that that, that came a couple of years after. Um, so yeah, Long Clume was... I mean, I think... Long Clume really started to so it was always busy at weekends but it was quite quiet during the week when I started and then wow. Simon was just just starting to get a, um probably six months after I started he acquired the new farm and that was when things really sort of took off so I'm gonna I have done a lot of research on you and restaurants over the last few days because I felt very inadequate for this interview okay I never heard of this the Rue Scholarship yeah what the hell's that uh, so the Rue the Rue Scholarships uh, competition, and it was run by uh, Michelle Rue Senior and Albert Rue, 
who are, are just like absolute legends really uh, sadly they've both passed away now but there's two sons as well run their restaurants so right michelle and albert were the first chefs outside of france to win three michelin stars they were the first restaurant in london to win three michelin stars and at a time where food in england was generally considered as not great sh- shite yeah so <laughs> you know and they, they really came in and they trained Gordon Ramsay, they trained Marco Pierre White. Like most top British chefs have had some form of either been trained by them directly or someone who trained through them. Right. And then uh, I think it was 35, 36 years ago now, they set up the Rue Scholarship, which is uh, their competition, which the prize is they'll send you to any restaurant of your choice for uh, three months, like a free Michelin star restaurant oh, anywhere around the world. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, winning that, I think for me, was that was the biggest thing that's happened to me like in my career definitely you know like because they are such legendary figures and, and like in the industry and it's like a, you know like i don't know i was about to strut into a football analogy really and i don't know anything about football but, <laughs> but like you know like looking out at wembley yeah yeah i mean like a young analogy. footballer having access to you know pele or something like you sure. can just email him for advice and stuff like that it, yeah it's it's yeah it, it was unbelievable really because it, it wasn't just the prize of the the restaurant uh, you know they've been there for me throughout my career and helped me like if I've ever had issues or emailed them they're, they're always there for advice and yeah it was massive that for me really so was that a competition yeah yeah so it was a competition so there was two rounds to it uh, initially you had to do a dish given ingredients that they set you right and then if you get through to that you get to the national final so there's six people and they'll test you with something that's extremely sort of classical some probably something a dish that you've never seen before right i want details of this right so what were the ingredients you were given do you remember uh for the first round yeah it was uh venison and jerusalem artichokes and then you had to do another garnish of your choice and a sauce right uh yeah what did you make so i did uh i did a roasted rack of venison and then i also took the loin and rolled it in a crumb Made from uh, Jerusalem artichokes, hazelnuts, and sure. uh, bacon. I did like a pickled blackberry sort of sauce, and then uh, artichoke puree and some cabbage that had been braised in uh, riesling. Wow! So the wine. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was my that was my dish that got me to the final. And then in the final, we had to cook a, a chartreuse of quail. And veal sweetbread. Which, I don't know what those words mean. Yeah, no, neither did I. Chartreuse. Yeah, so it was basically you wow. You took a, a a dish, lined it with vegetables, and then... A dish, uh, line it, right, yeah, fine, yeah. Which you then took, uh, we had to stuff it with quail, bacon, veal sweetbreads. So yeah, so you made a mousse with the some of the quail so, to stick the vegetables to the outside. And right. then we had to braise cabbage, put the cabbage in, put the quail in, sort of layer it up and then cook it in the oven and then turn it out onto a, a tray with right. certain garnishes. But like I said, like, you, you get 30 minutes to sort of plan it. You get to look through your cookbooks, try and find a recipe. Okay, sure. So they don't tell you how to make it. They just go... No, no, they give you... Go. Yeah, they give you a, a sort of brief description and then you get 30 minutes to plan what you're going to do and then you go in the kitchen and do it. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess tough. there's no tutorials on YouTube for that sort of dinner. No, no, there's, <laughs> there's not, no, sadly. No. It was, uh, I'd done it the year before and I didn't win. So the second time around, I had a bit more of a an idea of sort of what to expect, not what I was going to cook or anything like that. But yeah, it, it, it was so tough, but so rewarding. Then you won. So you were the Rue Scholarship winner. Yeah. And you were sent to where? I went to a restaurant in Belgium. At the time, I didn't drive. Uh, 
and this was a, an amazing restaurant that I'd sort of had my eye on for a long time called Hoff Van Cleve, and it was right in the middle of uh, the sort of Flanders fields in a in a converted farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Wow! So, like I say, if I it, I couldn't have a, they put me up in a hotel for three months, like the only hotel that was like within walking distance, and they sorted everything out for me. And Michelle Rue came out at one point to pay a visit and see how I was getting on. And yeah, Amazing. It was brilliant. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask this later, but I'm going to ask this now. If you could go anywhere in the UK for dinner, bar Simon Rogan restaurants, yep. where would you go? And let's do, in fact, <laughs> let's do this like, let's do proper expensive yep. and then more like middle of the road sort of stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, Michelin star, uh, I'd love to go see Tommy Banks, uh, the Black Swan. Okay. Uh, I think his food looks great. And Where's that? So it's in uh, York. Okay. Yeah. So in, yeah, Oldstead, yeah, near York. Yeah, so I'd love to go see Tommy. I've never been there and, and that would be that would be great. I mean... And that's Michelin star dining. Yeah, exactly. Taste I mean, the menu valuable. Yeah, okay. yeah. And he, he was on Great British Menu, the Christmas series with me and he's yes. su- such a lovely guy. And right. Yeah, yeah, I think his food looks great. So I'd love to, I'd love to go there. I've, I've recently visited... Uh, well, the last meal I had was with Niall, my mate Niall down at Watley Manor and that was incredible as well. So, right. yeah. Uh, more casual... I mean, I've been there before, but I just can't wait to go back. There's a Shack Fu Yu in London. Okay. So it's in Soho. It's oh, those Korean wings. Really? That's the place to go? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah, so that's... I feel I feel now bad that we've got a Rue Scholarship winner eating kebabs at our dinner table. I no, do don't. now feel quite bad about that. Please don't. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, Simon Rogan. Mm-hmm. Came back in your life after that. I'm trying to work. So I, I was I, I was uh, the sous chef at Long Clune when I won the Rue Scholarship, right. and then when I came back from Belgium, I got promoted to head chef. Hey. Yeah, so that was uh, yeah another <laughs> another plus side of winning. But yeah, that that was when I that was when I got made the head chef. Did you know that was coming? Yeah, this spoke to me. Yeah, and Simon was great. You know, he supported me through it like throughout the competition, and it was it was great. And you know, giving me the time to go do it as well. Yeah, because you're away from the restaurant for three months. But oh, yeah, I guess yeah, you just go away and do your thing. Yeah, so. So right. yeah, um, and then you came back as the head chef of Long Clue. Yeah, which as a sentence is just an amazing sentence. Yeah, no, I was pretty. Uh, I was twenty, just turned twenty five at the time, so I was I was further in my career than I thought I would be at that age when I first started out. Yeah, who was the head chef before you? Uh, it was a guy called Mark, right. who's now got his own restaurant with two Michelin stars. Wow. So, yeah. What was his advice? Not a lot, really. There wasn't much said about it. Yeah, I mean, sort of when you're doing the sous chef role, anyway, you you kind of shadowing the head chef, and you're already sort of positioning yourself to take over that role. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, Simon was there the whole way through and supported me, and yeah, it was great. It was quite an easy transition, really. I'd been at the restaurant for about three and a half years by that point. So, right. Yeah. So it wasn't you anything new. Yeah, exactly. As head chef in the pecking order, mm-hmm. how much control do you have? Uh, well, like I say, it's more—it's it's always been a sort of collaboration when it comes to actually menu writing, but then the day-to-day running in the kitchen would fall on the head chef, yeah. Simon's not always, he's got a lot of things on, so he, yeah. he can't be in there 8 o'clock in the morning checking the prep or stuff like that, so. Do you get the opportunity to put your spin on the restaurant? Can you take it? Do you feel like when you were head chef there, it was the Tom Barnes era of the restaurant? Um, well, I feel like it's this sort of a natural progression, yeah, because you get more involved in the in the menu planning with Simon and then the stuff that's good sort of stays around and, yeah. you know, the stuff that's not so good fizzles out and then the next guy comes in and it's, it's a constant progression, really. When do you think 
I first came across Long Clume. Oh, Because there's know. a very specific thing that happened in the restaurant. I'm not sure. So there was a TV show filmed there. Um, oh, The Trip. The Trip. Right, yeah. With Steve Coogan and Rob Bryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was when I first... And it's a comedy series and they... Yeah. It's a very strange series, but it's hilarious. And they go around Michelin star restaurants. Well, funnily enough, that aired the day before I started. No way. Yeah, yeah. And since then, I've met Steve Coogan a couple of times. He's been back, and like, I, bet he has. I get I get pretty starstruck when he comes in because I'm yeah I'm a massive Alan Partridge fan. So me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he nice? Yeah, oh yeah, super nice. Yeah, I remember the first time he ate, he because uh, he'd been a couple of times before, and it was on my day off, and I'd I'd missed him. So yeah. the first time he ate, and I got to chat to him for a couple of minutes, and he signed me a menu, and amazing. Yeah, it was yeah, it was, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. Tom, I'm going to ask you not to be boring here, and if you've been told not to answer questions like this power through and tell me okay you must get a lot of celebrities in uh yeah more so when i was in london obviously the restaurant i worked at there was in mayfair and yeah. close to leicester square so that was but yeah we've had we've had celebrities in at long who's, who's been your best that you cooked for the one that I, I think i was the most excited and i got to meet him was uh terry wogan oh my god yeah i remember when he came in and just telling my mom because she was such a huge terry wogan fan and that that was pretty cool that's um, amazing yeah, yeah, and that was He's great. He's one of my heroes, Terry Wogan. Really? Yeah. 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 And he was such a lovely man as well. And he, yeah, so that was great. Um, Steve Coogan has to be, has to be, oh, Peter Hook from uh, Joy Division. Peter Hook from Joy Division. The best player, yeah. When he came in, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty excited. That's cool. Yeah. Have you had any big old meltdown moments in the kitchen? Oh, I think every chef's had a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear about it, but I, <laughs> when does it go wrong? Oh, I mean, you know, not so. It doesn't happen so much really anymore. We haven't, like I say, we've got a great team, but everybody has those nights where it just seems like, and I'm sure that's in any job where you sure. seem like nothing's going right, nothing. You can't get anything to go how you planned. Yeah, and I think a lot of the times is it's in your own mind because then customers will start coming in and saying they've had a great time, but in your mind you're like, oh my god, what the hell's just happened, sort of thing. Yeah. But, like I say, luckily we have a great team, but yeah, we all have our bad days. Can we talk about the Great British Menu very quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a show that's in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's a BBC show, yeah, right? And goes in like regional finals and they find the best chefs in the UK and you sort of work your way up. It's like a competition. Yeah. And then you get to make a dinner for a very select group of people and you entered and won. Yep. I suppose, because you did the main menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how was that? I'm pretty terrified to be honest when I went in there. Uh, like I, that show started just as I started doing my apprenticeship, so it's something that's like I've been aware of my whole career. So to, by the time to actually be asked to go in there and go in and cook was, yeah, it was all a bit surreal for me really, and I was a bit, I was, I was super nervous just for the fact that you know there's going to be a few million people watching it, and if you yeah. mess something up. You're gonna look a bit of a bit of a knob, bit of a tool, yeah. So, <laughs> so that was always in the back of my mind. But, um, but on the flip side of that, the crew and everybody like that are like super nice, and the you know they sort of settle you in and sort of try and ease your nerves a little bit. And, and luckily, things went all right. So, yeah. The way that works is they pick a chef for the starter, the main, and the dessert. Is that right? Uh, starter, fish course, main, and dessert. Yeah. And so you were the guy behind the main. Yeah, main I did the menu, main course. Yeah, which I've actually eaten. Because I came to Rogan & Co. when you were doing it. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And you did the, um, it was the lamb. Yeah, Herdwick lamb. Yeah, and it was presented in like a Beatrix Potter style yeah. thing. It's amazing. Oh, thank you very much. It's the best. 
how did it feel winning that show? Did that change your career at all? Or was it just a sort of another thing to go, you know what, I'm, I'm progressing? It was big. Like, I can't deny that, you know, I, I, I don't have a big name, but it sort of put me into the, the spotlight a little bit, if you will. A lot of people wouldn't have known who I was. Um, on the night that the main course episode went out, my phone started blowing up quite a lot. I bet it um, did. But, you know, it, it was great, really. I mean, that was just, yeah. I'd sort of, my goal at the start was, like, if I could get... Well, I was sort of taking it in stages. Firstly, let's try and get to the final. And then, yeah. like, when you get to the final, you start to think, oh, I've got a, I've got a chance here. There's eight chefs. There's four positions available. Hopefully, I can sneak something in. <laughs> and, yeah, I scraped through. I've had a skin in my teeth by one point. And, Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was great. Who did you cook for? Uh, so, it was all... Uh, it was all different children's authors and stuff like that. The theme, the theme that year was children's literature. Right. Uh, so that was obviously Beatrix Potter from the Lake District, and then doing a bit of research, found actually read her on Herdwick Lamb and stuff like that. So, yeah, they had lots of different children's authors there, and it was it was, it was a cool night. It was good, and I became really good friends with Nile and Alex, who who were cooking with us. And yeah, no, it was great. It was great fun. And then you brought the um, dish to Rogan and Co. Yeah, yeah, and we did, did. It on the Sundays. Yeah, yeah, we did it for a little bit, yeah. Which was... I remember I listened to an interview with um, Simon Rogan and his response to that was, it brought in a lot of money, which I think yeah. is important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the publicity it gives you and we ran the whole menu for about two months and it sold out every time and when people see it on the telly, they want to come and taste it and yeah no it was great do people ask for photos have you had many photo requests yeah, yeah a couple of times but we've all been wearing masks so it's a bit different of course <laughs> yeah yeah i guess it's probably better for me because you know <laughs> the less you see in my face the better hey i, I don't, hey, don't want to hear that on this podcast <laughs> the first filmed one we've done it's all about oh, yeah, oh, yeah. it's all about your face tonight does that feel weird when people go okay can i just go in the re- into the kitchen and get a photo yes yeah yeah, it's a bit. I'm not used to it. Uh, no. I don't know if I ever will be used to it. I'm quite, I'm quite shy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, at the same time, on the back of that, people give so many nice comments and like, you know, like I say, my phone went crazy. People saying well done and stuff like that, and it's yeah. it's really lovely that someone will who doesn't actually know you will take the time to send you a message and say well done. So, yeah, no, it was great. Now, before you go tonight, I want to know when you look at what you're part of right now, being part of the Simon Rogan Empire, mm-hmm. is this something that you think you want to do? Do Absolutely, you, yeah, yeah. You do want to go off and do your own thing. I think so. I mean, even if it would be, you know, at the moment, I'm super happy here. But I think every chef has that aspiration, and uh, I think even in the future, I'd probably do something with Simon, but yeah. in my name, maybe. Um, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? But that that'd be, you know, that'd be the goal. But for now, you know, I, I love it. I love it here. I love, I love what I'm doing, and yeah. What would be your style? What would be the thing? Oh, I mean, I'm just like you know, I've worked for Simon for such a long time, so there definitely be similarities there. But yeah, uh, I feel when it actually happens, that would be when when you start to work it all out, and I think that'd be something I'm really looking forward to and excited about. Watch this space, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom Bars, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming over to our house in Cartmel and being part of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Oh, no problem. It's been good fun. Um, and I'm not going to let you answer this, but I hope every time we now come into the restaurant, we eat for free. Uh, Thanks so much. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And um, before you go, do you want to rate the kebab? Oh, I'll give it a solid. Uh, oh, why not? I'll give it a ten. Ten as, out of ten. As kebabs go, why not? Cold. I'll be honest. Um, I don't know whose fault that was. I don't want to blame my girlfriend. It, it might have been. Um, thank you so much for coming <laughs> over to our house uh, tonight. Tom Barnes on the Dangerous Podcast. We had Donna kebab. 
Um, it's a 10 out of 10 for you. It's a 9 out of 10 for me. You're walking home. We'll let you take the food with you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's the one you. It's Tom Barnes, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Cold food, but hot guests. It's the Dangerous Dinners Podcast. Hey, and like that, another episode is out of here. Served up, plates cleared with a little, a, a, a little aperitif to finish. Aperitif, is that what you have before dinner or after dinner? I never know these things. An amuse-bouche, I'm going to Google it. An aperitif, an aperitif, is an alcoholic drink taken before a meal. Oh, I didn't mean aperitif. That's before a meal. It's like a little, this is the little coffee section after a dinner, I suppose, where you debrief the food. I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, thanks for Tom Barnes for coming on the podcast. He was a really fun guest. Um, You can see all the best bits on our YouTube channel if you want to head there. It's the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Find us on all your favorite social media platforms, bar TikTok. We're not on there yet because, my God, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, but we, I mean we will be one day uh, yeah thank you for listening thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast if you want to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts it genuinely does mean a lot to us when we get those things so if you could take the time to do that um, I'd really appreciate it go on give it a go give us a little review and I will see you same time next week next week's podcast is a very different one for us um, yeah it's a bit of a special I'm not going to say too much about it now, but it is from a friend of mine who I've known a very long time who um, who has had some dark days in his life, I suppose would be the best way to talk about it. Anyway, that's next week. So I'll see you next week. Have a lovely week. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.